Today's reading is from the Gospel of John, 15, verses 16 to 17. You did not choose me, but I chose you, and I appointed you to go and bear fruit, fruit that will last, so that the Father will give you whatever you ask in my name. I am giving you these commands so that you may love one another. For the word of God in scripture, for the word of God among us, for all the word of God within us. Thanks be to God. Well, it's such an honor to be here today at this incredible church. My name is Graham Baird, and I'm the lead pastor of First Presbyterian Church of Burlingame. And I, I'm just so honored to be a part of this service and friends with Jenny, your lead pastor. And you are an awesome pastor, Jenny. The kids know it. So. And I can tell you that today you're about to commission another awesome pastor. And I know that because I had the great honor of working with Karen for about six months to a year as our interim associate for pastoral care. And I know that you know this already, but she is a person who has a deep heart for the gospel. She has courage. She has great ideas. And I know that you know she also has the most awesome red shoes on the planet Earth. I am actually wearing red shoes in honor of her today and a certain football team that might be playing in the Super Bowl this next week. But... I guess both teams are red anyway. <clears throat> I'm not here to talk about the color red, but I am here to talk about the word calling. Calling. It's a word that we throw around in places like this, in church. We say, are you called? Today we're going to call, install, commission Karen Thistlethwaite to be the pastor here. But what is, what is a calling? What does calling mean? Some of the more intelligent people who have ever written about the subject of calling, one is Fred Beekner, who you may know in writing, one of the great writers. Beekner says this, a calling is the place that God calls you to, the place where your deep gladness and the world's needs meet. He goes on to say that you might be very excited about your work, but... If your work is designing ads for a cigarette company, that may not be the world's greatest needs. On the other hand, he says, you might be a doctor in a leper colony, but if you have no heart or passion to be a doctor, you might as well not be one. And so today I want to talk about your calling, not just Karen's calling, but your calling, because everyone here today has a calling. Every week, I drive my daughter, and we take the Sand Hill Road exit, and we go left instead of right off of 280, and we, we stop at the Red Barn where she does horses. And I look out the window, and I see many of your faces heading off to jobs. And some of your faces are stressed and maybe a little angry, maybe a little overwrought. And I say to myself, is that person going to a job? or a calling. And so today, whether you're retired or not, whether you are about to be commissioned or not, whether you're looking for work or not, 
whether you're in a job right now and you don't like your job, wherever you are, maybe you're a student thinking about your life, I want to lift up the question of calling, what it means. And I want to lift up the word passion, because I think passion is the key to our call. But first, would you pray with me? Thank you, God, that you didn't just equip each of us with lungs and hearts and brains, but Lord, you, you have given each of us something even bigger than our bodies, and that is a passion to do something that the world needs us to do. And you've given us this passion when we were just kids. And so today, as we commission this wonderful pastor, Karen, I pray that you would remind us of what our passions are, that you planted in our hearts many years ago. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So I don't know who will be singing the halftime show at this coming weekend Super Bowl. Who? Okay, that could be a good show. Thank you so much, Malcolm. My new favorite member of your church, by the way. But I do know who sung the halftime show in 2002, and that was a band by the name of U2. And I don't know if you remember what happened in 2001 on September the 11th, when 2,977 people died and over 600 people were wounded. And our country was in a deep place of wound. And our country needed healing. Now, what you may not know is that the band U2 is not only a good band, but they're also Christians. They have written songs that obliquely reference Christianity, whether it's where the streets have no name, or a beautiful day, or walk on. But it was on that day that they began to sing, where the streets have no name. And a whole scroll, remember, of names were ascending to the top of the stadium that day. And as those, uh, as those words were sung, I will not try to replicate the beautiful music of the choir, but when Bono began to sing the words, I want to run, I want to hide, I want to tear down the walls and hold me inside. It was said that God walked through the room that God walked through that stadium, that God used that band, their talent, their passion, and the world needed to be healed. I love that example of calling because we tend to think of calling as only reserved for people with white souls like this. But what we believe as Christ followers is that everybody in this room has a calling. And it may not be to be a rock star, I had the opportunity many years ago, before I had this white stuff on my face, to speak to the Triennium Youth Convention in West Lafayette, Indiana, Purdue University. And there were 6,000 high school students in the room that, that evening. It was a Friday night. And I remember looking out to these high school students, and I remember saying to them, God has given you a passion for something. And Maybe it's dance, or maybe it's public speaking, or maybe it's code, or maybe it's math, or maybe it's business, or maybe it's art, or maybe it's drama. And I remember all 6,000 kids were just nodding. They knew exactly what their, their passion, their calling was. But then I said, you know what's going to happen, don't you? As you live your life, 
your passion will slowly but surely be pulled away from you. And, and I can remember looking out at those kids and seeing their heads go like this. I said, but this is what's going to happen. Maybe you want to be a, a major league baseball player. And so you, you work every day to be a pitcher, but, but then you don't make the baseball team. So you say to yourself, well, I'm just going to study sports medicine at, at college. So you study sports medicine, but then your counselor tells you, you know, there aren't that many jobs in sports medicine. You should maybe think about the law instead. And so you say, okay, I'll be a sports lawyer. I'll represent athletes. And so you get hired to a great big firm like the ones you see around here, and they say, great, sports law. It's just we don't have that many athletes who need an attorney. So why don't you think about estate law? You'd never thought about estate law before, but you say, okay, I'll do that, and, and I will live out my passion as, as a Little League baseball coach every weekend. But then one day, your, your boss calls you in and says, we've decided to make you a partner in the firm, but you won't be able to have weekends with the family anymore. And slowly but surely, there goes your passion. There goes your call. There goes that thing that God gave you a unique ability to do. Now again, it may not be to be Bono or even to be a pastor like Jenny or Karen. It may not be to be a, a professional athlete. This last week, wonderful story of a man named Tom Sweeney, who was the doorman at the Sir Francis Drake Hotel in downtown San Francisco. He retired after 40 years. 40 years shaking hands, bringing in suitcases. He has shaken every president's hand from Gerald Ford to Barack Obama. The article stopped with that president. I'm not sure exactly why, but. <laughs> but he, you might say, had a boring job. It may not be your calling, but he said, it's the best job in the world. It's the best job in the world, working outside a landmark hotel cable cars that come by every nine minutes. It doesn't get much better than that. The, the article also went on to say that nobody today needs anyone to get their suitcases because they all have wheels on them. And no one needs anyone to, to hail a cab because they have Uber. But what is your calling? What is that passion that God gave you to do when you were a kid? Our text today that we heard so beautifully read a moment ago is Jesus speaking to the disciples about their calling? Now, an interesting Bible study here, and I see Kim Engelman, one of the great Bible teachers. Uh, one interesting thing to do is to ask yourself what the jobs of the disciples were, and then what the calling became. Now, you know, Peter and Andrew, they were fishermen. And I always loved the text You've probably heard these sermons before. Jesus sees Peter and Andrew, and he says to them, come, I will make you fishers of men. And the text says that at once they dropped their fishing and they followed Jesus, and everyone goes, wow, Jesus must have been so, like, winsome. I personally believe they hated their job, <laughs> right? <laughs> fishing sucked. I mean, it was such hard work. You'd fish day in and day out, and you maybe not catch anything, I think they were like, okay, we're out of here. We'll follow Jesus. <laughs> but about two years in, 
the disciples are going to get discouraged. They're discouraged. That's what happens when people leave their jobs that are well-paying, they got a good pension, a good trust fund, and they leave that to follow Jesus. At some point, there comes a moment of discouragement. And I know you know this, Karen and Jenny, you sure know this. There are moments of discouragement in this job. They just come. And you wonder to yourself, maybe I shouldn't have left my day job. And so Jesus preaches the sermon about, I am the vine and you are the branches cut off from me and you can do nothing. He's trying to pump up the disciples, but it's not working. <coughs> nothing Jesus is saying is getting through. And so he cuts right to the chase. And that's the text that we heard read just a moment ago. And so let's listen to God's word here. It's John 15, 16. He looks into their eye and he says, hey, by the way, you did not choose me, but I chose you. And the word for choose in Greek is much better than the word choose here. Eklekomai is the Greek. Would you say that with me? Eklekomai. It's a good way to start the morning. It gets the phlegm out of the throat. Eklekomai. A better translation is select. I selected you. I, before church this morning, had a wonderful cup of coffee at this coffee shop in Ladera, and they have a wonderful selection of bagels. But I tell you, if it had said, we have lots of choices of bagels, that wouldn't seem very compelling, would it? Actually, it would seem kind of heavy. Like, come make a choice. Nobody needs a choice in the morning, but a selection? It's like the little girl who goes up to the window at Copenhagen Bakery in downtown Burlingame and says, I'm going to have one of those and one of those and one of, and one of those. And that's what Jesus is saying here. I, I'm going to take you and you and you and you and you. Selected you, and God selected each of you here today. You did not select me, but I selected you so that you might bear fruit. I believe there's a deep connection between passion and fruit. You find somebody who's passionate, you will find fruit. I work out at this gym uh, once a week or sometimes once a day, seven days a week, and the nice thing about robes is it covers all sins. We could not work out at all, but um, <laughs> this wonderful uh, receptionist at the front desk, uh, she's so upbeat and happy. Every time I come in, I work out on a Thursday, she'll say, um, hey, happy Friday's Eve, Graham. And uh, I asked her last week, would it be okay if I talked about you in my sermon on Sunday at Valley Presbyterian? Because you're one of the most passionate, excited, upbeat people I've ever met. And I, I couldn't make this up. She said, sure, because it isn't me that makes me happy, it's my father that makes me do that. I mean, this is a secular Burlingame. There's a connection between passion and fruit. You find someone who's passionate about something, they will be fruitful. Eventually, they will be fruitful. We stay way out of politics at First Press Burlingame, and I know you, you do too, but I will say, as I've watched the Democratic debates, I've noticed that some of the candidates seem to have more passion than the others. And some of the candidates whose ideas may be not, maybe the best ideas, but their ideas that are passionate seem more compelling than those, than those who are not. 
that passionate about them. I, I should have stayed out of that illustration, I'm sorry. <laughs> if you find someone who's passionate, you will find somebody who has fruit. So Jesus says to the disciples, have passion and you will have fruit. So, he says, so that that fruit will last. One of the great definitions of, of a calling is that the fruit of your life will last beyond you. And so I just want to ask you today, is what you're doing with your life going to last beyond you? When you have gone off to heaven, when you have maybe moved away, when you retire, will people say, that person made such an impact on my life. I've never been the same. Anytime I walk through a park in this area, I'll often see a park bench, and it will have like a plaque on the back of it. And it'll say, this park was gardened by John Smith, who had a heart for gardening. And I recognize that John Smith is no longer around. But I look around, and the garden is flourishing, and I realize... John Smith is still having an impact. His fruit is lasting. There's a guy named Steve who came up with this idea for a phone just south of here a few years ago. He was terrible at administration. He was a terrible CEO. But he was committed to two things, a beautiful product that was user-friendly. And every time my three-year-old does that across the phone... I realized that that person who had a passion for that product still lasts. And I also realized that every time somebody walks past the Sir Francis Drake Hotel, they will look at that front door and they won't see a beef eater handing out a hand and a, a shake and a smile, but they will remember Tom Sweeney. And you don't have to be in a great big job to have something that lasts. You can do that as a parent, as a grandparent. You can do that as a choir member, as an elder, as a deacon. But it lasts. So he wants us to have fruit and he wants it to last. And then this last quite enigmatic sentence. So that, says Jesus, whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give to you. Now this is clearly not true. Totally. Because I have asked for 10 things this morning from God that just haven't happened. And I'm guessing you have too, right? But what I think Jesus might be referring to here is that if you are in a calling, a passion, God gives gifts for that particular thing. God may not give gifts for all of the rest of the stuff in your life, but in that calling, it seems to me that Jesus is saying, whatever you ask in that thing, God will provide. And I have basically found that to be true in my life. It doesn't happen overnight. Sometimes the things I ask for in a calling don't happen until five years later. Last night I was down at La Cañada Presbyterian Church, and I was there for an installation service of another incredible pastor, named Mickey Fenn. The reason Mickey Fenn got to that church is because we were trying to start a new church development in Camarillo, near Ventura, and the thing was not going that well. 
And I remember being very upset about it, and I remember praying to God every day, Lord, would you just please just do something? I've committed, this is my calling, I think, I think, unless you want me to go back to my day job. And I said, Lord, would you just do something? Well, I can say that the church is fine. It's about 40 people. It meets in an art studio, Camarillo. But it wasn't enough to pay my salary and to pay for a music director and all the rest. And uh, a couple years in, I realized that thing was not going to make it. And to be honest with you, for the last five years or so, I've wondered, was that, that whole thing just a waste? But then yes, yesterday, yesterday I saw this young woman who was called to the ministry and she was being ordained, she was being installed the way Karen is, and the same band was up there. And I realized that God answered that, that prayer in that calling just five years later. God will, will answer, I think, the prayers in our calling. So make sure you lift them up. So let's get back to the disciples before we close. So Peter gets pulled back into the ministry. He gets pulled back into the calling. That would be Peter, by the way. He could be pulled back in. He was like your social justice guy. He was always standing up for the right. But it was easy to pull him away. And so after Jesus dies and then ascends into heaven, Jesus, or Peter gets discouraged. And so he goes back to his day job. Do you remember? He goes back to fishing. And do you remember how successful he was that night at his day job? That was a night job at that point. He caught nothing. So he was not only unfruitful, he was also bored. And he must have wondered, maybe I made a big mistake. Morning comes, it looks something like that incredible set behind us. And there, Peter looks on the shore, and he sees Jesus. And he jumps out of the boat, and he swims to the shore. And Jesus says, what are you doing? And Peter says, fishing. And Jesus says, how's that going? And then Jesus says to Peter, feed my sheep. He has to tell him three times. Feed my sheep. And Peter does. And it would not be easy after that. But that was his passion. And thank God Peter stuck with it. So my last question to you today is, are you in your calling? Or are you in a job? And is there some way to have your job be a part of your calling, your calling a part of your job? Are you the Peter who's in that boat Jesus is asking you to do something. Maybe it's go to Dominican Republic. Maybe it's help Karen and Jenny out with this incredible church. But God wants to call you. And so I'm going to leave you with the inimical words of King David and Bono. Because at that same halftime show, Bono, in the middle of that show, said this. What can I give back to God for the blessings he has poured on to me? I lift high the cup of salvation as a toast to our Father. So follow through on the promises I made to you. Thank you, God. Thank you so much for having faith in us. Thank you for giving us a passion, whatever those passions are, that we would have the courage 
to do that with our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you, Graham. We're so uh, blessed with a wonderful community of pastors here, and I'm so grateful to be in community with you. Thanks for sharing with us this morning.